Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. It's your host, Jeff Lerner, enthusiastic and excited as ever to be here with you, probing the secrets of wildly successful millionaire folks out there. One example of whom is my great friend who I'm thrilled to have on the show today, Mr. Andrew Cass, longtime friend, uh, former business partner, like we've a mentor, workout buddy. Just in, in fact, I have a story about him. I'll tell, I'll tell here in a minute, but he was an early influence on me before he even knew who I was. Andrew, my friend, I'm so grateful you're here on Millionaire Secrets today. Yeah, man, we could cover a lot of territory with how far back we go, right? Dude. I could probably, at least I could say that there's no doubt in my mind, it's a prediction that maybe of all your guests on the show, you might know me the best. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with that. I mean, right. probably Somebody could come uh, in other, than, other than I did recently record an episode with Jacqueline. Well, I can't, but yeah, that's, but yeah, it doesn't count. No, that, yeah, so that- The wife doesn't count, of course. But technically- we go back further because we I do. think, yeah, we, we, we all met in the same circle. So yeah, M March, 2009. And since yeah. you're, since you're leading us there, I'll go ahead and tell the story. So March, yeah. 2009, I'm a struggling, broke, ne'er-do-well musician guy trying to get his bearings on this whole internet business thing. And I go to this yeah. event and there's this luminary figure on stage who's the MC and the host of the event and I was, I was he had this great suit and he just was polished and crisp and he was confident and he delivered uh hosted an amazing event and I just remember thinking I want to maybe I could be like that guy someday well that guy was Mr. Andrew Cass I don't even know if you remember that but you were on stage and I was a little minion in the seats well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the nice words. I didn't know you felt that way. And yeah, that was the role I was in for a little while and how we met. You were, you were an up and coming internet marketing guy. I was sort of established at that point. And then God, we've covered so much ground since then. It's fun to be here to, I guess, rehash it all, right? Yeah, that's pretty much what this is about. I mean, this show, I know you've seen uh, many episodes of my show. I basically just like to get into like the real stuff, the stuff that's behind the veneer, that's behind the results, that's behind the accolades. And Really get to know successful people. What yeah. makes you successful? What do you struggle with? What are all your, you, you know, the dark, dirty corners of your life that maybe don't see the light all the time because nobody ever asks you the questions? Um, because that's the stuff to me that people go, oh, if he can do it, I can do it because you're just screwed up just like everybody else, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so, right? There's always um, the you know, it's always not as rosy as it looks on the surface. And I think that's a good thing. That's a human thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would, it would actually be kind of boring otherwise. Yeah. Um, and, but and but you're, you're right, though. The perception tends to be, not just in, in the world we live in, but in the world as a whole, the perception is that if somebody's made it big in any industry, whether they're an athlete, an entertainer, uh, a CEO of a company, is that it, 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 they just got there quickly and smoothly and not a lot of bumps in the, in, in the road, but really it's usually exactly the opposite, which is probably what you cover quite a bit with your, with your guests is the bumpiness, which is unseen is usually pretty bumpy. That yeah. And it's, and it's not only bumpy and it is, it's bumpy and it's messy and it's human. And, and I've had some amazing stories from amazing people on the show, but the thing that stands out to me the most about it is it's essential. There is no, uh, you know, perfect curve to success. You have to go through 
the crap. Because yeah. that's when you develop the intangibles that allow you to come out the other side and really thrive. So maybe that's a good starting point. Um, and, I, you know, I, I, as, as well as I know you, there's still so much I don't know. Um, can you take me back maybe to, uh, to a little boy in Boston who had big dreams? And, and tell me about that guy and, and kind of what got him started. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's one story that always is front of mind for me, and it was the story of me being a, a, a little kid. I wasn't a big kid. I was kind of a small kid. So small kids in school back then got picked on more than kids who were of normal size, right? Right. But I was a small kid, and at one point in my life, I was always playing sports, baseball, football, track, um, soccer, everything. There was a point in my life where I was in middle school. And this is like a turning point in my life, so it's funny you ask. It's funny we kick off here. Uh, that I feel today stays with me and has shaped me and is sort of, um, you know, where the discipline and where a lot of the drive comes from. Mm -hmm. and, for, and, and for some strange unknown reason, I wanted to go play football at, at the number one rated football high school in the state of Massachusetts. Here I am with pretty much no football skill, small kid, not a lot of talent. And I'm convincing my mom and dad that I want to go to this private Catholic high school that has the number one to, today, still to date, Jeff the number one rated football program in the state of Massachusetts ranked nationally. And they're like, what, what, what is happening here? Right? right. So I convinced them to go to the school because it was a great school to get a great education anyway. So that worked out. And I tried out for the football team because this is really all I wanted to do at, I don't know, seventh, eighth grade. And I was immediately cut from this football team. It was like the most demoralizing thing in the world for me because I then had to go back into my local community and play pop Warner football with the kids one year younger than me. So here I am in ninth grade playing with seventh and eighth graders because I got cut from mm -hmm. the freshman football team, which is what I wanted to do. And that was like such a turning, turning point in my life because that moment I was like, I'm going to work harder than everybody on the planet earth to come back next year and the year after and the year after. And by the time I graduated from high school, I was, I led the team in touchdowns as a senior and was the only player to go on to play division one football. So like that little journey from eighth grade to graduating from that division one high school program and eventually going to play one double A college football. And what I went through and sort of the, what I had to overcome was something that has always stayed with me. It was like a burning desire to fix what happened. Yeah, and yeah. it's always been something that has come back again and again. And again, I wrote about it in my book, sales philosophy. It's the opening chapter. Like I write about that journey from that, that, that moment where you got cut and you were demoralized to not wanting it to ever happen again in any circle, whether it be business, life, relationships, whatever. And it's still that story. I can, I can relive that story, Jeff. Like, like I'm in the moment still. You, we all have those stories like where you could, it's so long ago, but you can relive it so, so well because it had such a moving impact on you. And that was the one for me that stays with me and drives me to this day. And I'm 47 years old. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is crazy. These things that we latch on to, they either they either tear us down or they forge us into who we are. I, I can tell you that it's. I mean, and, and it's you know, it's not good or bad. It's just the humans. We gravitate. We we latch on to the things that we do, right? And right. and for me, I I remember when um when I lost my franchise restaurants, which you know that story, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I was trying to navigate through it with my wife at the time who was not a big fan of mine and her parents weren't my biggest fans I don't either remember it all yeah you know it all. I don't have to tell you the story but <laughs> oh no you're not telling me you're telling your audience so it's good to hear it again well they, <laughs> my audience has kind of heard they oh, all heard, heard the story okay. too right yeah. but there was a conversation where oh and, and you know what it was it was 
So my ex-wife or now ex-wife at the time we were splitting, she was like, she was just done. And I was like, I can, I want to get her back. I can fix this. And I was trying to talk to her dad. Like, can you maybe talk to her? Like help her see my point of view. Like I try real a big hard. fan of you, right? Huh? He was no, a big no, fan, he, right? He, he played nice, but he let it slip in this conversation. He said, you know, Jeff, you're kind of trying to put this on me. Like I have some say in the matter. She's a grown person. She'll do what she wants. And it is not my fault that you were so arrogant that you thought you could just go start a business and never have to get a job. It hit me so hard. And I have spent every day since proving him wrong. Mm. And I probably will till the day I die. And I, he has, you know, it, it makes no impact on my life. It all worked out for the best or whatever. But it's just these little things you hook into and you get that fire or they kill you. I mean, metaphorically, they, they, they become your yeah. undoing. But those are little adversity triggers, right? Which, like you said, they either kill you or they motivate the living daylights out of you. Michael Jordan had the same story, by the way, yeah, ironically. Yeah. Michael Jordan hinges to this day. Well, not anymore, but he hinged on his got cut from the freshman basketball yeah. team story. And it's, it just kind of like me, it was got cut from the freshman football team story. It was a very similar, obviously not a similar outcome, but a <laughs> similar driving story early on in that adolescent middle school to high school time. That is a very, you know, that's a time where you tend to feel things the most. So if right. you can, if you can have something happen, that's, uh, that, that, that's adversity like, but hopefully it doesn't demoralize you and wipe you out. Like it does a lot of kids today. I don't think, you know, we're as tough as a society today as we were when maybe you and I were growing up. But yeah, if you can overcome this stuff, it can, it can be a driving force for decades. That's so true. Did you, did you see The Last Dance by I chance? Loved it. I loved it. Abs I watched it in real time. I didn't even wait. It was Sunday night, six weeks in a row or whatever it was. I watched it. It's like one of those shows I just put on the calendar and it dinged at 9 p.m. on right, the calendar. Right. Ding, ding, The Last Dance is on, right? It was so good. And yeah. I, what I loved is the way Jordan never stopped creating, even when he was, had it all, he was the best player in the world. He was still creating those experiences for himself because he knew himself to know that's the fuel I need. Remember that story about how he like, he, he, he fabricated something that some slight that somebody said to him just so he could get pissed off and go score 50 points the next game. Yeah, and then years later, he actually said like, oh, that didn't happen. But he needed it to happen the way he made it happen to motivate him and drive me. He was, he was, you know, on another level when it came to that kind of stuff, right? You, yeah, you he, didn't realize it until you watched the last dance how much psych, how much psychology went into the athlete. Yeah, he was he was kind of sick in the head <laughs> in <laughs> yeah, such a cool way. Yeah, so okay, so you end up playing D one football uh, as a you know still undersized guy. I mean, I know you personally, you're good, great shape and fit, but you're not, you're not like a big college football, massive human. Uh, what, what was that like, man? I mean, did you get your, did you get knocked around? Yeah. I mean, it still wasn't a big guy going in still was what well, wasn't at the speed level I needed to be at. I still, I, I just always kind of found a way to kind of sneak my way in Jeff. It was always one of those things. And it's funny, you and I did a talk from stage that still sticks with me where we talked about Tom Brady and how he was always the underdog that found a way to kind of get in. Right. And I was yeah. like that too, growing up where I just kind of found a way into this program. It wasn't a scholarship program. It was emerging from a division three to a division one double a school. I wasn't really that good. 
again, I had to work my tail off to get the speed and the, and, and the size and the strength at a certain level. And finally I got, and I, it was not a great career. I finally got to, you know, junior year and I was a projected starter going into my senior year. So at the tail end of college, I was really starting to turn the corner and was going to get some playing time and started a game or two here and there as a backup. And then I blew my shoulder out completely huh. tore the labrum in half in a spring football game when I was projected to be a, a starter in that senior season. And it, it, that was it. I mean, at that point I knew it was done because it was senior year and I had to graduate and I wasn't going to red shirt and hang around and like turn right. this into a lifestyle. And I wasn't going pro. I wasn't, I wasn't that good by any means, but that was, you know, for eight years of my life, that was the life. And I didn't have a life. I didn't have a, I didn't have a high school life. I never had a drink of alcohol till I was 22 years old till I was done huh. playing football. Never wow. even a sip of beer, wine, nothing until I was done. So like that was the life I decided to live from the early age of, I don't know what eighth grade is, maybe 13, 14 ish, 15 ish into 2021. And then it was over. And I was like, well, now what am I going to do? I have to graduate from college, which thank God I did barely, you know, football had a lot to do with it. Football, you know, the program, you know, took good care of the kids. Right. And, and, you know, we didn't have to do a whole lot with all due respect to the programs to get, to get it done and to graduate. And then it was like time to get serious. But the work ethic was still there. The drive was still there. I just had to convert that energy into now business and life. And all I had really known was using that drive in the weight room and with athletics and sports. So looking back at that whole little journey, that, that's where I got, for me, the discipline, the drive, the work ethic. I got it from sports and I got it from committing to sports. So it was easy for me to transfer that commitment to something else because the commitment lifestyle that I lived for so long was just the way I lived. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, if I lead, if I latch on, Jeff, you and I, we've done business together. We're partners. You know, if I latch on to something, I'm all in yeah. and I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to make it work. And it might not always work, but I'm going to make it work because that's what I know. That's sort of what's been wired into me since the age of 13 years old, 14 years old. Well, what I love about the way you told that story just, just there at the end is you said, I decided the life I wanted, or I decided what my life was going to be. And then for eight years, I mean, I was in high school. I was in college. I cannot say I didn't touch a sip of alcohol. I didn't party. I didn't allow myself to get distracted. I mean, to decide at 13 or 14 years old, this is the life I want. And then to essentially reject all the temptations and distractions that are going to try to knock you off that path. It, especially when you don't have the advantage per se of talent. I mean, you, you're a no. talent, you are good, but like you had to no LeBron James in the making here. Right, right. You had to outwork your talent. So you could, you had very little margin for deviating from the implications of your decision. You decided the life you wanted, but in order to have that life, it had to be all consuming. Yeah. That is, by the way, I mean, if I was going to say, okay, over the, you know, nearly a hundred interviews that I've done so far on this show. What is the unique ability that I've detected across everyone? It's that ability to make a decision and to manifest that decision through an unrelenting and almost indistractable commitment to following through on the decision. And basically being willing to say no to things that most people don't have the discipline to say no to. Yep. And I look back on it and I'm like, I don't know where it came from. So the, the, the irony of it all is when I look back, I don't, I can't pinpoint where the spark for the decision came because I was so young. Usually right. when you make these decisions in, as an adult in life, you go, oh, it was because of this, or this was the turning point, or this event happened. 
But back then, I'm like, man, I don't know where it came from, what I saw, because sub subconsciously, I saw something that made me want to make that commitment for the seven, eight, nine, ten years, whatever it was from, you know, and I missed college. High school was just kind of sports. Yeah. College, I just flat out missed. I mean, it was, it was, that's a year round thing when you're at that level, right? It's spring football, it's winter workouts and it's the season. There's right. not a whole lot of playtime, right? And that's even at the big schools, the division one schools, it's, that's a job at that point. I don't, I don't even think they go to class. Right. 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 Um, but you know, we were much smaller, but still the commitment to that lifestyle was, was, uh, you know, I don't regret it, but I missed a lot. Mm -hmm. I guess I, I missed that I missed a lot, right? Or I regret that I missed a lot as a young kid when I think at those years you, you kind of want to experience more. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take it back because, like I said, a lot of those attributes and personality qualities are here to stay. And I think that's the stuff that stays residually. Yeah, you wouldn't be where you are. You wouldn't have what you have. You might have had some different memories from back then, but you wouldn't have the life you have now if you were a little less disciplined. And that's, here's my experience of it because I – I kind of had the same thing when I was 16 and, and I do remember the spark. It was, Oh no, I'm going to have to get a job if I don't figure something out. And I decided to become a musician, a professional piano player. Yeah. The only problem was I didn't play the piano. So I started, I ended up dropping out of high school and I mean, I practiced eight or 10 hours. A day. I practiced as much as I could physically practice until my wrist felt like it was my right wrist. I've started getting arthritis pretty early until it felt like basically I practiced up to the point of unbearable pain hmm. and made myself a professional musician and missed a big chunk of my twenties because I was in a practice room 10 hours a day. It's kind of the same thing. So, so you don't know what the spark was, but, but again, I'll, I'll say that like all the people I talk to, they're all insane like that. It's a degree of insanity. It is. It's, it's, it's a rewarding and productive insanity. And, mm -hmm. and un, unreasonable discipline and commitment. Well, it's also uh, an addiction, right? You get addicted to yeah. it. You get it, it. There's an addiction thing. So there, listen, there's good and bad things to be addicted to, right? Addiction can be a good thing. People think it's a bad thing. It has a bad stigma, but it's pretty good. To be, you know, I hope my son and my daughter grow up to be addicted to some really good things like yeah. playing sports, committing to a craft, committing to a career, committing to a skill set. Those are good addictions. So you remember, find your, addiction, you know, find your addiction early if you can, right? That's helpful. Yeah. Do you remember that, um, that presentation at one of the WMI events we were at with uh, Wayne? Wayne Root was the speaker. I think you were there. And he, he talked about positive addictions. Vaguely, yeah. That was yeah. actually the frame of his presentation was he's like, listen, he's like, I'm a hard driving, dopamine looping person like most sort of people of a certain ilk mm -hmm. we drive hard and we like feedback loops and we we live for that we crave that sensation right so he was like i've had to train myself to get addicted to what i call my positive addictions mm. and you know he's a he's the same way that guy's a lunatic man he yeah, works all the time and he gets high massive. energy dude yeah totally so okay so so then let's get to the point where you transfer that addiction right? So you're, you're addicted to sports and football and, and I'm using the term addiction because it's your word, but I, I've already I told, decided it's, it's used on this, on this show in a positive way. We're yes. Good. And I totally get off it. The and, hook. and by the way, I'm a total junkie myself right now. <laughs> I'm addicted to scaling my education company and creating content. And I'm unapologetic about it. I mean, I started a no. podcast five months ago and we're coming up on our hundredth episode. You're addicted to the show. Good. Yeah. I just, I love, I don't know. I don't know any other way to be. So Coming out of college, you, you obviously in New York going to go pro. 
where did you, uh, where did you migrate your, your intensity? what did you migrate your intensity to? So interestingly, I immediately shifted to, I want to get a really good job. I'm good at speaking and communication and sales because I had done a little bit of network marketing back in the day. So I really learned kind of the personal development communication game early on. So I started interviewing with companies before I graduated and I had a full-time job with a company car and a salary and an expense account and the entire territory of Long Island, New York at the age of 21 before I even graduated from college. So I immediately was able to shift, you know, the drive and the work ethic into sales and career and business. And, you know, from there, I quickly moved into the investment banking business, became the top producer in my firm back on Long Island early on 23, 24, 25 um, so again, it was there. It was just like I said, said earlier, I was able to take that work, that work ethic and apply it to business and success and, and sales and a career. And that just, you know, I continued to, I guess, parlay that into other careers over the years. But that, that was, it, it wasn't hard for me to shift coming from such a, such a, a, a work ethic over those eight years to get right into, you know, not hanging out and doing nothing after college. But I was mm-hmm. like, part-time working for this company. And the second I graduated from college, I think the next morning I was in a suit showing up for my job. Like there was no, right. you know, it was like, it was always in motion with the next thing and, and being very committed to the next thing. It wasn't just the next thing and it was in and out, in and out, in and out. It was the next thing and seeing it through the next thing and seeing it through. And I think that's an important piece for anybody to understand is that there's, there's always going to be next things, but there can't be too many of them because yeah. then there's no, then there's no stability in the thing, right? There's no, there's no compounding effect. No, exactly. Exactly. You don't get the time benefit. So what did it take? You said you, you migrated into this, uh, your next role and you became the top guy. What did it actually take to be the top guy? Did you have to be the smartest? Did you have to be the best looking? Did you have to be the run the fastest 40? Like what, what were the (laughs) skills that were required? Well, you didn't have to be the best looking at all because back then there's no internet. Everything's on the phone. Right. So really right. At, in that business, I think you needed to sound pretty good because it's a phone business. You know, we're talking, mm-hmm. we're talking nineties now. So we're talking, this is a phone. The investment banking business is the phone. Like right. today's the internet back then was the phone, right? So you needed to be pretty good on the phone, but you also needed to be able to work like no one else because that's a business where you needed to just do numbers. So yeah. I was the first guy in at five in the morning. Oftentimes the last guy to leave at nine o'clock at night, we were opening up other parts of the world, Australia, the UK. So we had to do these crazy hours. So I was like, you know what? I'm just probably going to work more hours than these guys because I'm in better shape and I already have the work ethic and I'm, I, I kept myself in good condition because if you're going to work those hours, you can't be a, you know, you got to cut, you and I both know, Jeff, we talk about this a lot. You need to be able to, for you to have the stamina to do these kind of things, you have to take care of yourself, your health in a, in a, in a very different way. Mm-hmm. You can't just eat whatever, sleep whenever, work out twice a year. Like you're not going to have the stamina to transfer it into business or career or anything if you don't take care of yourself. So I always made sure I took care of myself health-wise because it was already in me. But I also just got there a little earlier, stayed a little bit later and just outworked those guys. Yeah. And, and had a level of, of discipline and commitment mm-hmm. that was probably not normal for people in their early 20s. It was as abnormal then as the 13-year-old thing was then, right? It <laughs> right, was, right. It was the same thing. It's like, where does that little, where does that commitment come from? Even my mom and dad joke with me to this day. They're like, we don't even know where it came from. Like, you're, the rest of our family is committed and successful and everybody li- lives a great life and everybody does really well for themselves and everybody's healthy and, 
you know, everybody has continues to progress, but you always had like this little extra and, and, you know, this little extra level of discipline that we joke about to this day that I, I don't know where it came from. I wish I could pinpoint it. I really do. Cause then I could maybe teach it. Well, and to your point about physical stamina, you know, obviously, you know, you're very familiar with Entra, my, my company and the values we teach and the pillars we lean on physical, personal and professional. So, you know, I, I could not physically do what I do if I didn't treat health and fitness just like yourself. I know we're alike in this way. We treat that part of our life almost with the level, uh, the, the precision and attention to detail and consistency of like a professional bodybuilder. Not, not, I mean, we don't take the drugs and we don't maybe don't lift the same weights, but like we're just as into our health as people that are professionally healthy. It's like their career. Agreed. Um, and and, and I could not it's do monitored. what I'm doing otherwise. Yeah, it's, it's tracked. It's monitored. It's... Yeah, I mean, I've been awake for 15 and a half hours. This is my fifth interview today. I've shot two other videos. Like, I've been talking for like 10 hours today. And I've been awake for 15 and a half. I would be dead right now you would be. trying to have this conversation with you. If mm -hmm. I didn't maintain a level of rigor and discipline about that part of my life that, that really, you know, and I'm not bragging. I'm just explaining how I keep myself from failing every day. Yeah, I think. Because I would fail. Yeah, I think, I think you nailed it. I mean, I, you know, we, we, I guess we stumbled onto it. Probably wasn't even where we were going to go. But, you know, the funny thing with us, when we talk, we always end up here. Yeah, we know, always right. end up in some sort of health, fitness, weightlifting, nutrition, anti-aging conversation. Right, it's right. Fitting yeah. for our conversations. This one just <laughs> happens to be in a, bigger, in a bigger venue, right? But you're right, man. You look back on, on when you can go the distance on projects and in companies and in businesses, it's rarely the guy that doesn't take care of himself. You're always going to have an exception to the rule. You're going to have an outlier, some guy who's 80 pounds overweight and smokes a pack of cigarettes a day, and he's the CEO of a you know, $700 million company. Right? Right, That's right. an outlier. That's the exception to the rule. Um, anyone like him who tried to do it is probably you know, hooked up to IVs trying to just live the next day at this point, right? right. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's definitely not a strategy. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, well, I want to be like that. No, trust me, you don't want to be like that guy. Because yeah. however great that guy has it, he would have it that much greater if he would just get in shape. Yeah. And it's not even about getting in shape and like turning into some sort of fitness buff. It's about, it's about, and, and, and this is a, this is so a funny story. We're talking about when I was starting mm -hmm. the sales career jobs out of college at 21, you know, this is cassette player times, Jeff in the car. And I had the company car. So I'm listening to Zig Ziglar. Oh yeah. That's CDs. And one of the things that he said that sticks with me to this day is he said, you know, if you don't take care of your butt, your, 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 I forget how he put it, but he said something along the lines of, you know, you're, 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 you'll take better care of your car than you will your body, right? Most people will take better care of their car than they will oh, your yeah. body. But if you look at your butt, your body's like a million dollar operation and you need to treat it as such. Otherwise you won't be able to perform in the workplace. And he, I don't know how he phrased it, but he phrased it in a way where you need to protect yourself internally and externally physically so that you can go the distance. And that yeah. was a big thing with him. It's just taking care of yourself and uh, in doing so in a way that allows you to stay alert and to do 15 hours straight and probably still feel pretty good about it. Yeah, Z Zig was a very accomplished runner, if I remember. Yeah, yeah. But again, you don't need to be some, some, some six-day-a-week, two-hour-a-day deal. You just no. need to be aware of the fact that that pillar of health is going to transfer into the real world. Otherwise, you're going to probably have a short lived scenario because something's going to go wrong at some point if you're not in a, in prevention mode, I guess. Right. 
Yeah, the way I look at health, I, I totally agree with what you just said. And, and sort of the way I look at it is, it's about doing a lot of incrementally significant things very consistently mm -hmm. so that you don't get in a situation where you have to go work out for two hours a day for six months to drop the 50 pounds that you gained because you were neglecting. It's just, it's the same thing, man. I'm sure it's how you rocked at sales. I know it's how you rocked at marketing. I know it's how you're rocking today. Just do the damn right work every day at the right time when you're supposed to do it. Right? Bill, Bill Belichick's the most successful football coach in the history of this world by far. There's not even a close second. And he has said for decades in that Patriots organization that all we focus on is doing little things consistently every day. And the end result is big things happening. You can call it seven or eight Super Bowls, whatever it is. But it's a focus on little things consistently, not taking on massive things periodically. Little things consistently, mm -hmm. little hinges, swing big doors, little things consistently done over time. And there you go. You I think you're... I think you're where I got that saying, little hinges swing big doors. I say that all the time, and I think I owe you a, a credit every time I do. I got it from somewhere, too, so I don't know where. Right? <laughs> so, cool. All right, so let's, let's accelerate through. Um, you did the sale investment banking thing. I know then that later you got into uh, a lot of the online marketing stuff, the community where we met, mm -hmm. and you crushed it at that. I mean, you were a multi-million dollar producer in investment banking, and then you were a multi-million dollar producer in that uh, affiliate and, and direct sales marketing business. Um, and if we had more time, which I'll, I'll connect with you off this podcast and I want to catch up on everything, but I'd like to talk a little more about what you're kind of into now. Uh, I see the sign behind you pipeline pro. Um, I know that you're doing some other stuff like, like, do you mind kind of sharing like what you're, what you're into now? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've, I've always maintained a consulting business over the years since we've known each other. I've always had a private client group. I've always taken on client work, really, that centers around sales funnel work, uh, sales process work, marketing work. And last year, we started Pipeline Pro, which is a, a CRM, sales and marketing CRM software mm -hmm. platform that really has, you know, I, and I've been working with all of them for the last 10 years, Infusionsoft, Salesforce, Entreport, HubSpot. I've seen them all. And we linked up with a, with a, with a tech team that's, that, that, that found a way to get pretty much everything that we use day to day all in one place. So think email, text, voice broadcast, funnel builder, calendar systems, pipeline, sales tracking, all in one dashboard. So like it's a complete all in one solution for business owners. And now that's where most of my emphasis is today because we've taken off, I don't we're in like 15 or 16 countries, thousands of members around the world. And uh, it's taking more and more of my time because it's just connecting so well with business owners and it's simplifying the business owner's life because tech can be, as you know, tech can be kryptonite today. Yeah. And when you, you and I both know, Jeff, because we're pretty good with tech. But if you were coming into, and, and we're in a virtual world today due to the pandemic, everybody's been forced online if they're not already online. So when you get forced online, you have to embrace tech in a lot of ways where you weren't used to doing so before, right? So we've been able to come to the marketplace in the last year with an all-in-one solution that eliminates a lot of overwhelm because a lot of tech pieced together in multiple mm -hmm. different places with multiple different subscriptions can oftentimes cripple a business owner to do nothing at all or not even get off the ground. Right. So we've sort of solved that and filled that void in the marketplace where we can come to the table with one solution. I always throw this bet out there. I still have not had anybody take me up on a bet side by side. I'll go head to head with any CRM platform on the planet today. Now, again, this could change in a month or two months, but at this time, I can't find anything that beats our all-in-one solution. Mm from a productivity and efficiency standpoint and a cost standpoint. So here's what I know. 
I know you well enough to know if you say it's amazing, it probably is. You have a great product, but great products don't build great businesses. Right. Great marketing applied to great products and services build great businesses. And you are, you know, again, you were one of my early mentors and early heroes, really, um, in terms of like, hey, that guy clearly knows how to do certain things that create a whole world of possibility for his life that I don't know. Therefore, those possibilities don't exist for my life. So I was like, well, I want to close that gap. I want to learn what he knows. And, and specifically in the area of direct response marketing, uh, copywriting, you know, the stuff that you, you largely probably work on with your, with your consulting clients, mm -hmm. right? Like most of your, I assume you don't take clients who don't have good underlying products or services, but usually they're, they're better at their product or service probably than they are at their marketing. Yeah. And most people are because they're emotionally tied to it, right? right? They've created it, they've launched it. So they're emotionally attached to it. That's common. So let's talk about marketing. Cause I mean, you know, people hear your story. Oh, he's, he's an athlete. He's a hard worker. He's, he's an investment, you know, he's a sales. Like you talk about selling on the, or be, doing investment banking on the phones. It sounds like you're a quote sales guy. Yeah. But the reality is you've been able to create leverage and scale and, and a lot of, you know, process automation in your life and business because you're a, a great marketer, not just a great salesperson. So can you talk a little bit about how did you actually become a marketer? Well, I think you know that 10 years ago, what's the, what were we, 12 years ago or so, um, my early mentor was Dan Kennedy, as you know. Mm -hmm. So when I was, when I had just moved to Miami, I became one of the Dan Kennedy certified business advisors where I essentially had the area of Miami as my own. That was, they were running a business model back then where I was running a direct response marketing group on the heels of Dan Kennedy's philosophies. And I ran that group. It was a seminar business. I was running a monthly event and seminar. Mm -hmm. I've probably done 200 events, Jeff, as you know, we met at an event. Right. It was a national event. I also did probably, God, over eight years, I probably did 150 local seminars, local events on the heels of direct response marketing via Dan Kennedy, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where I sh made the big shift from traditional sales pre-internet and not really knowing the marketing world because I was just more about sales coming out of college to, wow, there's a whole way to market that actually creates, and this is the, the cornerstone of my book, Sales Velocity, there's a whole way to market yourself in a way that eliminates almost all sales resistance, right? So yeah. the, sort of the tagline in my book, Sales Velocity, is how to sell more with less resistance. How do you do that? You do it exactly how you just mentioned. You have a really good marketing presence, combination of branding, funnels, direct response, and you're somewhat omnipresent in the marketplace. And when it comes time to sell whatever it is that you're selling, you get this, Jeff, you're very visible in social media, on the internet today. If you had to get on the phone and sell someone, you probably wouldn't have to do a lot of selling. You might just answer some questions and the person's probably pre-sold. The reason they're pre-sold is because you're such a good marketer. So when you wrap your head around that marketing component, it precedes a sales process and it makes selling with less resistance a reality. Most people pound, 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 sell, sell, sell. If they slowed it all down and went back and said, I need to be more visible as a marketer. I need to be more value driven. I need to be in a lot of different forms of media, TV, internet, social media. I don't mm -hmm. know, live events, right? Just, just multiple places. Then the selling process sort of takes care of itself because they're pre-sold. So the direct response marketing thing is almost like a pre-selling strategy. You're, you're almost pre-selling yourself and your services if done right. So that was the shift. You know, a lot of it came from Dan and in and, 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 and his world. That's really what probably 
made me t make the leap from just traditional selling into the world of direct response marketing. It was all on the heels of Dan Kennedy's teachings and philosophies. Yeah, because it's not just something that you, you focus on. It's something you're very, very good at. I mean, when we worked together in, in our business that we had together, I mean, you, and, and, you know, I say this, I mean, I know you really well. I know all the, the, the multiple facets of Andrew Cass, but like superficially, you come off like, here's this kind of like, you know, I don't know what the word would be, like, like athlete, athlete turned sales guy, like is like your, your energy. What I, so what I don't think people would necessarily understand about you immediately that I know really well is what a, honestly, what a nerd you can be. <laughs> when like, when I give you a, let, a, 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 a website or a, a sales letter or a video presentation or something, I say, hey, is this going to sell? Like, help me with this. The, the technician part of you that will sit down and pull it apart word by word and and, and, you know, I don't know your whole process, but I, maybe I'd like for you to talk a little bit about it because, you know, I think it's easy for people to maybe not, because they don't know you, to not understand how, what a craftsman you are. And, and that so much of why you're so good at marketing is because of that craftsmanship. People probably may not even know what I'm talking about. What do you mean craftsmanship in marketing? Can you talk about direct response how you got, how you practiced it, how you learned it. A lot of more people read Dan Kennedy's books than are actually good at it. Mm -hmm. It's like the art and the science, right? There's the right. art, there's the science, right? So there's the art, but the science behind it is the psychology, right? So when you think about marketing and sales really combined, right? I, I think great marketing always precedes selling, mm -hmm. right? Selling alone doesn't really do well, just like marketing alone without a good sales process doesn't do well. So I think they're, they're, they go hand in hand. And again, a lot of it for me came from just being around the world of, of, of Dan and GKIC back in the day. And again, and the big thing for me, Jeff, was I'm running a monthly seminar for a large audience in Miami, Florida for almost 10 years. I eventually sold that business. But for about nine years, I'm running a seminar every month on direct response marketing, on selling, on internet marketing. So I had to be pretty brushed up on the topics and I had to be a good studier to mm -hmm. be in front of the room every single month. This is a three, four hour seminar every single month. This isn't go read a few books, go take a few courses and go build some sales funnels. I not only had to do it for the businesses that I was in, but I was teaching it every month. So Bill Glazer was Dan Kennedy's partner. And he always said, the teacher always learns more than the student. Because if you're teaching the thing, you're learning the thing at a whole different level. So I had that, and by the way, that was one of the big reasons why I bought that chapter and I bought that area because I said, man, if I'm going to be in front of the room, I like speaking anyways, but if I'm going to be in front of the room speaking about the topic that I love, which is sales and marketing, I'm going to get so much better at it for my own reasons. So it was somewhat self-serving. It was a business. It's, it's a business that still pays me to this day. And I still have clients to this day that meet with me on a monthly basis that I met nine years ago, right? I've, I've been able to keep some staple, really high-end clients in place from the seminar business model. But the real key to it was when you're teaching it and standing in front of the room and every month they're expecting something new and different, you got to be pretty sharp. And that was for me, it's almost like I put myself into, into, into forced education, right? I had to learn it and continue to stay sharp because I was teaching it in three weeks, four weeks, two weeks. Yeah. So for me, I had that benefit of, learning it because I had to teach it. So it's almost like I was in a curriculum and we do well as humans always in some sort of a curriculum. Yeah. So there's two things that immediately stand out to me about the way you, you explain that one is to your point, 
as soon as you start putting yourself out there as an authority and a, and a value creator in a certain category, either you're a spineless hypocrite who is okay sucking at it, or you force yourself to level up at whatever that thing is. And I think a lot of people, you know, we live in a world now where uh, the, you know, the concept of being the authority is such a huge part of branding. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people struggle. I know, I don't think, I know, because I, I run a mastermind. I talk to business owners all the time. Uh, they struggle with the idea of putting themselves out to the market as an authority because they think, well, I gotta, I'm not good enough yet. Yeah. And, and I know there's a fine line between faking it and stretching yourself, let's say. But I think that comes down to integrity. And that for people who know they have the integrity to want to deliver value based on the promise, go ahead and make the promise. Let the world know, I will help you with X, Y, Z, whatever it is, or I'm the authority, I'm the diagnostician of whatever the thing is. And you'll backfill Mm-hmm. Because you'll put so much pressure on yourself not to be a hypocrite if you have integrity that it'll do what you just did. It'll force you to level up. And the other thing I took from your story is you didn't just go enroll in a free community college class about direct response marketing. You said you invested in a business. Essentially a franchise. It was an area. Yeah, it was like a territory. Territory model, yeah. Model, yeah. So you, inv- I mean, and they didn't give you that for free. They didn't go, no, that was we like you. Or- you can have Miami. Right. No, you're buying Miami. Yeah. And so, but you were not already an expert authority, direct response, marketing guru and seminar leader before you bought the business. Correct. Right? Correct. So you didn't just put yourself, you didn't just claim some authority and then try to backfill with, with skill. You put your own money on yourself. Mm-hmm. How, how big a chump would you have been if you had bought that franchise and never gotten that good at marketing? And let me tell you something. At that point when I was investing in that area, there were about 60 to 80 of these area exclusive, you know, business models across the country that were teaching essentially the same thing, right? Different, different versions of it. I had my own way to do it. And very few of them went the distance. There were only a handful of us, six of us or so that was year after year after year, continuing to grow a nice little groundswell in a local community and a local, local membership. Um, because they just, they, they, in my guesses, and I used to go to the national trainings with, with those guys two or three times a year. And there was always like this little nucleus of people that just kept growing and expanding and putting team members in, but there was always so much turnover. Like you'd go to these events, you, you and I know this, Jeff, you go to these events and it's like, man, there's like 30 new faces in the rooms. That means there's 30 new area exclusive people coming on board in multiple different cities. There's the same core 12, come back to the next one. There's 40, 50 new faces same core 12. Mm-hmm. It's like, so you, so there's probably like a 90, like in anything, there's a 90, 10 turnover. And it's like, what are those guys doing different? They're just, they're, they're in, in, in our case, they're continuing to stay educated because if you don't stay educated, you're going to run out of material. It's like, Jeff, you are an entertainer, right? I'm a big Seinfeld fan to this day. You probably know Seinfeld. I love Seinfeld. Yeah, I still watch the show. It's like a guilty pleasure. My wife and I watch the show every single night at 11. It's like, we got to get to bed earlier, but we just got to get that little Seinfeld episode right, right. five nights a week, right? But he's, that guy was a technician as a entertainer. So if you look at his story, he was a technician, right? He was a guy who was constantly learning how to be better at delivering from stage and how to continue to take on new material. He wasn't just doing it and winging it like a lot of people, and then his career was kind of condensed, you have to continue to take on 
more education, more skill set, more education, more skill set, need to be well read and well studied to go the distance in just about anything today. You know, it's, it's funny. I, th- I try to put myself in, the, in the, the place of the listener to this show, right? I mean, as a content creator, you want to consider your audience. And I'm like, what are they, what is everybody, what are, if you're listening, is what are you really getting from Millionaire Secrets podcast? It's got to be getting kind of boring because every damn episode, consistency, stamina, drive, discipline, endurance, continuous learning, like it's every episode is the same. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously being tongue in cheek, but it's like, it's funny how uncreative this, the formula really is. A little bit boring, success leaves clues. You've heard me say that. So there's your clues, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like, but at the same time, it's not like the world doesn't need the message because look around. It doesn't get old, the message, because there's always a new chunk of people hearing it for the first time. Can- and, and, and I still need to hear the message. I mean, human. the nice thing is it's a message that is a prescription for a, a, an illness, which is human nature. Yeah. Right. So, and like humans are humans. We're all going to get distracted. We're all going to be tempted. We're all going to have shiny object syndrome. And so hopefully this show, this conversations like this is just always bringing people back to the center. Yeah. It takes time. You need the, the power of compounding. You have to, you have to be obsessed with getting a little bit better every single day, like mm-hmm. the new England Patriots. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You're right. You're right. It's not a big secret. If you see somebody sort of, you know, continuing to go the distance. So you look at the entertainment business, Jeff. Um, yeah. So there, there's two guys that stand out for me. So like, if you look at the entertainment business, you look at the people, how do they go decade after decade? Right. Tom Cruise. Yeah. How does he go decade after he still could, you could still put him in a movie today and he's still going to light it up as an action figure. Stallone was like that too. He's just, he's past his prime right now. Right. In football, it's obviously Brady at 43. Decade after decade. Belichick as a coach. You can see all the commonalities. There. Look at Tony nice. Robbins. Tony, perfect. I'm just going there next. He's been like 40 years. He's some odd years old. He's still from stage in front of 10. His voice box is any day now gone. And he knows it. He'll say it. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going until it goes. Yeah. Right? Dan Kennedy, same thing. Almost died last year. Yeah. Right? We thought he was dead. It was, he was written off as dead and he's now writing again and taking on clients again and re-engaging. He's back in the mix as, you know, a pioneer direct response marketer. I call Dan the Warren Buffett of marketing. Mm-hmm. Been around the longest, influenced the most by far, and he's back in the game. So there's obviously a love for the game, but there's also, they, they continue to treat the game today the same way they did 40, 30 years ago is they're performing at a different level, but there's still a lot of the same disciplines and philosophies. And they're not thinking that, oh, I've been doing this for 30 years. I can suddenly do less. They're actually doing more. It, it's, it's, so, the, so the commonalities are the guys that go the distance that have been around for decades and decades, and they seem to just never run out of gas. They love what they're doing so much, but they're also a student so much of what they do. And that's the big difference. If they stop becoming the student of the thing they do, like if Tom Brady just decided, you know what, I'm not going to read my playbook anymore. I really don't want to study the opponent the opponent because I'm too old. I'm right. just going to. I'm so good. I'm going to just. Or show I'm up too good. Play. Yeah, he would be like, yeah, I'm I don't just need show it. up and hand it off and throw it and wing it because I'm that good. And he probably could do pretty well. But this, the, just the amount of study and commitment to the craft still is the difference. 
So if you're, if you feel like you're, you're sort of losing enthusiasm and losing energy and losing stamina, got to find a way to love the thing so much that you're doing again, if you've lost the love of it and to become a student of it and to continue to want to learn more about it, different angles, different approaches so that you want to continue to engage and be great at it. And that's, to me, the big secret that I've seen looking at all these great ones, I look at the Tom Cruises and the Anthony Robbins, the Tom Brady's and the Bill Belichick's of the world. It's the same process. They're all just intense students still with yeah. intense work ethic. Yeah. And, and you read, I mean, Kobe Bryant, Kobe, read about his, on. it's, it's sick. They're sick in the head. Yeah. And it's so you cool. I want to be sick in the head. You, you and I shared the book together, right? Did you tell me about Relentless or did I tell you? You told me about it okay. with uh, Tim Grover. Yeah, with the book where he, he details that lifestyle of Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, and- Michael Jordan. The third? Was it Jordan? Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. yeah. Those were the big three. What a great book. Oh, so but good. Relentless. Yeah, so, so let's say that for everybody. It's by Tim S. Grover, and it's called Relentless. And he was the trainer to those three athletes, among others. I think he also worked with Barkley and- yep. Wayne Wade, Kobe Bryant, and, and especially Michael Jordan. Must read book to just see the behind the scenes. He was more of a whisperer to those guys than a trainer. Yeah. He was a psychologist slash physical trainer slash rehabilitation expert for those guys. And it's fascinating to see how they tick. It, it, it was amazing. Yeah, I love that book. I, 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 I've watched interviews with Tim Grover on YouTube and stuff. I just can't get enough. Because I think it's so important to understand, you know, nobody's got more natural basketball talent than Michael Jordan. He's got a 48-inch vertical. He's got huge hands. He's 6'6". He was coordinated enough to walk onto a baseball field and play passable minor league baseball, even though he's like, I mean, people give him a hard time about that. Like, I'd like to see you or me try to go play minor league baseball. We haven't played baseball in 20 years. By hitting that 85-mile-an-hour fastball, yeah. good luck. And, and, and so, I mean, he was gifted, but he wasn't Michael Jordan just because of his gifts. He had to have this guy, Tim Grover, following him around all the time, constantly correcting and whispering in his ear, to, like you said, and, and keeping him on. But he knew enough to invest in creating that for himself, yep. just like his version of buying the Dan Kennedy chapter. You invest in the accountability and the responsibility to force the results that you want to get in this world. And look, Michael Jordan had a lot of money. He could pay a guy to follow him around, right? Yep. But if yep. you don't have that money, that's why what you read, what you eat, who you surround yourself with, what you listen to. Are you listening to, you know, gangster rap? Or are you listening to success podcasts, right? I mean- you have to control your environment. Especially today. Every so resource. Coming at us. You what? Especially today with so much coming at us. Now you oh. have to be very deliberate about it because it's just insane. It's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. Well, shoot, man. We're already four That's, minutes uh, over the, the time I blocked off. Yeah, so it's, it's, you know, it's investing in the education, like you said, right? The training, the skill set. But yeah, there's, they're big investors in people too, right? You mentioned- oh, yeah. You know, Tim Grover, today, today with Brady, today Brady has Alex Guerrero following him around, the TB12 yeah. method guy. I mean, he's, he's his sidekick in Tampa. He was a sidekick in New England. So there's people in systems that people are constantly investing in to keep them sharp. Same with Tom Cruise. You know he has an arsenal of people around him. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know really too, too much. Same with Tony Robbins. I mean, just an arsenal of people. Yeah, and I saw Tony, so I saw Tony in February at Funnel Hacking Live. 
and he, he was the had, keynote, right? He was the keynote, but he was, he was stiff-legged. He looked like he was on stilts because that guy stood on stage for so many hours of his life and he's like six, seven, you know, yeah. 270 or whatever. Big so dude. there's a lot of, a lot of stress on his joints. Yep. His knees are shot, dude. He had to have a doctor with him at the event, giving him like, I don't know if it was cortisol injections or what in his knees, wow. just so that he could go stand with peg legs. I didn't know that. That's the but I mean, they, that's what I'm talking about. The level of commitment. It's fascinating. It is. It's so, it's so cool. And I love, I love it's having fun people. to talk about. It's fun. It to talk is. About. And I love having people in my life like you that think it's as cool as I do. Yeah. Because a lot of people think that like baby flashing, you know, bands of cash on a rap video are what's cool. Right. Well, actually, that may be cool. But what's cool about it is all the stuff that baby did or whoever to get to that point that you never see. Yep. The money isn't what makes it cool. The work is what makes it cool. Yeah. It's fun to look back at the journey. Like we talked a lot about the journey here today, right? It's fun to look back at the journey because the journey teaches you so much more than the actual outcome does. Yeah, it totally does. So how can people go get more of this uh, Andrew Cass wisdom and greatness? So your book, maybe? Is that a good place to start? Yeah, my book, Sales Velocity, was a bestseller, an Amazon bestseller in 2017. That's on Amazon. My website is andrewjcass.com. You could take a tour of our software at gopipelinepro.com behind me. So pretty simple. Cool. We'll get all those links and we'll uh, put them in the description for the show. Um, man. I, I, I'm sad to say, I think we've, we've reached our time. It's been so great having you on the show, man. Been fun. It's been fun to catch up. I miss a lot of the times we had together. Jeff and I probably have hosted, I don't know, at least 30 or 40 events together Yeah, that, are, that were pretty awesome. And those are fun venues. Yeah, like, for- like 500 to 1,000 person events with oh, yeah, a lot yeah. of training and a vibrant a- community. And yeah, it was super And the fun. energy you get from just talking the way we're talking right now and doing it in front of a big audience, to me, you, is... Obviously, in the, in the world we're in right now, we all miss it. Yeah, oh, we yeah. all can't wait to get back to it because the world needs it. And guys like us thrive on it, right? So it's, you know, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we need this whole mess to blow over. The world's we'll get getting there. soft and stale as it is. Yeah. I, everybody's so enamored with the whole Zoom's a $60 billion company. I don't care if Zoom goes out of business. I want my stages back. Me too. And, 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 and so does your audience and so does my audience and so did, so does Tony's audience and yeah. so does the audience in, in the Buccaneer stadium for Brady and so does the audience for the oh. hockey team, right? Everybody NBA finals yeah. with the, the cardboard cutouts in the stands or whatever they've got now. I can't even watch very it. Very peculiar, man. It's very odd. It, it, it's, it's an interesting time, but I think it'll, you know, you and I both agree it'll, it'll eventually come to pass like most things do. And I agree with you. Zoom can, Zoom can be a huge factor. We're doing it. Aren't we on Zoom now? We're, We're on, on Zoom, Zoom right, right now. now. Yeah, It's an awesome thing. I mean, I have a beautiful studio set up right now, but the real connection, probably a good point to leave off for us. The yeah. re, you, and you and I know this. The real connection in any business comes with human to human connection. That will never go away with any internet, with any form of social media. I had a guy in my office the other day, Jeff, he was doing my whole video setup. He's like, man, you really don't have to do any live events anymore, do you? You can actually do everything on Zoom now, can't you? And I'm like, nope, you can't. What do you mean? Nope, you can't. I'm like, nope, you can't. You can do a lot on Zoom right now, but you'll never go the distance staying behind a computer and staying on Zoom. Technology yeah. can drive you and drive a lot of eyeballs, but you'll never get the stick and the retention and the quality of people without a live experience. And it's coming back and it has to. And the connection and the ability to like actually transform a person internally, change their state 
Now, Tony Robbins talks a lot about changing your state. You ain't changing nobody's state on not Zoom. Not on a Zoom. No. You might get to a few, but you're not going to do it without a real human-to-human -human experience. So we'll, we'll, we'll get there. And if you know, you're a business owner that is like, wow, I can, I can run a business on Zoom, you probably can do a degree. But I don't think you'll ever reach your full potential if you don't yep. get live, press the flesh, as they say. And right? there's two nuances. Your business will never reach its full potential. You'll never reach your full potential trying to hide from the world behind right. a computer. Good point. Anyways, good point. Andrew, this has been amazing. Thanks for being a guest on Millionaire Secret. Uh, real quick, what, what, socially, where can people go follow you on social? Social, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, the big three. Cool. Great, man. Thanks really for being enjoyed here. it, Jeff. Thanks for the invite. I really had a good time. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And thank you out there, Millionaire Secrets audience. We will see you on the next one. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entranation.com. That is www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.